Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter two, and we're going to be diving back into our study, finding joy even when you don't feel like it, because when you don't feel it, that's when you definitely need to find it. We're going to be in Philippians chapter two, starting in verse 12, and we're going to finish out all of chapter two. I got 18 verses for you, but I get paid by the verse, and you guys just got your stimulus checks, so I'm trying to earn my keep around here. Well, the theme of the message for today is this, finding joy when you feel overwhelmed, right? Normally the pastor comes out and he asks you, hey, how everybody's feeling today? How are you guys feeling? But here's what I know. From being a pastor for a while, I know that a lot of Christians are not very honest when it comes to how they're feeling. And so if I were to ask you today, everybody would say, oh, I am blessed and highly favored. I am the head and not the tail. I am the first. I am not the last. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I am better than I deserve. Okay, Dave Ramsey, say, down. Let's be honest for just a sec and let's talk about how we feel. So what I did is I wanted to know exactly where you're at. So this week on social media, I asked this question and I said, hey, in one word, describe how you feel. And if you want to get honest answers, well, the best place to go is the internet. And people had no problem telling me how they actually felt. And I would get lots of different responses. A lot of them were coming from you in our church that you feel anxious, exhausted, tired, worried, fearful, afraid, helpless, hopeless. One person said they felt dead inside. There was a lot of different emotions that people are feeling, but the number one emotion that people responded to me is that they're just overwhelmed. How many of you, that's you? Like right now in your life, you're overwhelmed. And there's a lot of reasons for us to be overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed with news and with technology, with information. As the coronavirus keeps going and the social distancing keeps going. They keep changing the rules on us. Are we supposed to wear gloves or not? Are we supposed to wear masks or not? Is it six feet? Is it 13 feet? What are the symptoms? It's always changing. And so we feel overwhelmed. Some of you, you are considered essential. And so when it comes to work, you're putting in 60 hours and you didn't get a raise. You're feeling a little overwhelmed. Those of you who are parents, you're homeschooling your kids. You're a little overwhelmed. A lot of people have lost their jobs, filing for unemployment, which is at a record high right now. People are feeling exhausted, anxious, tired, and overwhelmed. How many of you, you're like, okay, if we're going to be real today, yeah, that's where I'm at. I am overwhelmed. Well, you're not alone. One research article I read, it says that 67% of Americans are reporting higher levels of stress since the outbreak of the coronavirus. People are pulling their hair out. They're so stressed. Rogaine for men is going to be good stock to invest in when all this is over because everybody's going to pull their hair out. 57% reported greater levels of anxiety. What's going to happen? 53% are emotionally exhausted. Like, I don't care what happens. I'm over it. 54% are 
more irritable and 53% have reported a decline in their mental health. Is that you? Is that where you're at today? Well, thank you so much for joining us because today I want to give you some good news. Everywhere you look right now, there is bad news, worse news, and I can't believe this is still going on news. Everywhere we look, we are surrounded by bad news. And if you want to find bad news, you can find it. But if you want to find good news, then you got to go look to the good book. That's the only place where we're going to find good news. And the good news is from here, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is still on the throne, that Jesus still loves, Jesus still saves, and Jesus is still changing lives. The good news is this, is that God is giving out joy like stimulus checks. You get joy, you get joy, you get joy, and I want to give you some joy today. What I want to do today is I want to pump some joy back into the economy. I want to, I want you to be overdrafted and overwhelmed. I want you to be filled with the joy that comes from the Lord. I want to give you some joy. Even when you're feeling overwhelmed, it's possible for you to find joy. Where do you find joy at in the book of Philippians. It's a book that's all about joy. So we're going to be diving back into Philippians. You got your Bible, Philippians chapter two, verse 13. Paul's going to give us four reasons to find joy when you're feeling overwhelmed. And the first reason is this, that the work is working. You can have joy because the work is working. Here's what he says in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, that's his nickname for the church, that Paul, he loves the church at Philippi. They are the best New Testament church that there is. He speaks with fondness. He speaks with friendship. He speaks with kindness when it comes to the church at Philippi because he loves his church. He writes them this letter to bless them, to encourage them, and help them to find joy. You're going to notice a lot of pastoral language in this section of scripture because Paul loves his church. And I, as the pastor of redemption, want you to know that I love you. Redemption, you are my beloved. That me and my wife, Ashley, five years ago, this week, we moved to Beaumont, Texas to begin work to plant Redemption Church. Our church is three years old right now, and we love you so much. You are my beloved. He goes on, he says, you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Where's Paul writing from? He's writing from prison, 800 miles away in Rome, away from his church at Philippi. And he wants to be with them, but he can't. That's the reason he says, you obeyed in my presence. When we were together, man, everything was going great. You were growing in your faith. The work was working. We were making memories. We were doing ministry together. God was moving. It was absolutely incredible. I loved being with you, but... I can't be with you right now because I am in prison. And so here's what I want for you to do. I want for you to keep working. I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to give in. I don't want you to be overwhelmed. I don't want you to quit. You were doing so great when we were together. And now that I'm apart, I want to see you keep working out and doing everything that God has called you to do. He goes on and he writes this. He says, you were obeying in my presence, now do much more in my absence. This is the heart of a pastor, that even when he's overwhelmed, he's still trying to help other people find joy. 
That even when he's hurting himself, he's trying to help other people. He hears that they're frustrated and anxious and overwhelmed, and so he's helping them find joy. And he says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For those of you who are feeling overwhelmed, I want you to know this, that what you are feeling may be foreign to you, but it's not foreign to the Bible. What you may be feeling may be foreign to you, but it's not foreign to the words of scripture. Like God gets it. God understands. God knows exactly what you're going through. So much so he had the apostle Paul write an entire book of the Bible to help you find joy when you are feeling the way that you are feeling right now. And if you think about it, there really is a lot of similarities between what Paul's going through and what we're going through. I mean, let's just consider this. Paul is in prison. We're in a pandemic, right? Paul, he is social distancing. He is away from all of his friends and family. We're social distancing. Paul is quarantined, chained to a Roman guard. We are quarantined, chained to... Netflix, but it's kind of the same thing, right? That he wants to be with his church, but he can't. We want to be with our church, but we can't. Not because we are unwilling, but because we are unable because it is unsafe. What you are feeling may be foreign to you. We've never gone through this before, but there are other people who have been there and it's not foreign to the pages of the Bible. The apostle Paul says, when we were together, you were growing in your faith. Now that we're not together, I want to make sure that you're still going to be growing. We were working for so long. I want to make sure that the work is still working. This is what he's getting at. He wants you to know that even though you can't go to church, you can still be the church. That even though you can't go to church, just because you can't go to church doesn't mean that you can't be the church. I love what Paul does here. That Paul, he wants to be with them, but he can't, so here's what he does. He uses the technology of the day to be able to meet them where they're at. Their technology was pen, paper, and the Roman roads. So he writes them the letter to be with them and to reach them where they're at. We're doing the exact same thing, but our technology is Facebook and YouTube and the internet, because if people can't come to church, well then the church, we're gonna go to them. And just because you don't or you can't go to church doesn't mean that you can't be the church. Amen. This is the part in the sermon where you click the share button so you can be the church. He says, you are obedient in my presence. Now do so much more in my absence. And then he says something very interesting. He says this, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what do you think he means when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Does that mean that we should be fearful and afraid? No, no. What are we going to do? All the churches are closed. Is that what we should do? No, that's not what he's saying. When he talks about fear and trembling, he is referring to a, a wonder, a determination. He's talking about a respect and a reverence. It is an awe at everything that God has done in your life already. That we don't work for our salvation, but when we are saved, God does a great work in us. That we are not saved by our works, we are saved by grace through faith, but because of our salvation, there is work for us to do. That God has done a great work in us, and now God wants to begin to do a great work through us. For the last three years, God has been doing a great work in Redemption Church, and now is the time for God to begin doing the work through Redemption Church. This is why he says, 
work out your salvation with respect, with reverence, with fear and trembling and in wonder at everything God has done and looking forward to everything that God is going to continue to do. Just because we can't go to church doesn't mean that we are to stop being the church. And right now it's very popular to be saying this, be the church, right? Everyone says, we don't go to church, we are the church. Very popular to say, I'm saying it right now, but there is a conviction that lies behind this. It's very easy to say, oh, we don't go to church, we are the church. But let me ask you a question. When you look at the day-to-day activities in your life right now, how much of your day-to-day is actually being the church? Seriously, honestly, are you really being the church? Okay, because... I don't think that a lot of the things that I'm doing in my own life constitute as being the church. The other day when I had a couple of days off, I spent most of the time watching Netflix, eating junk food, yelling at my kids and hiding. That's not me being the church. That's me being honest, but that's not me being the church, right? I have become more one with the couch than I have become one with the church sometimes. Anybody else? I mean, that's that's not what Paul intends. When he talks about being the church, he's talking about loving and blessing and serving and even obeying, even though we can't be together, he wants us to continue working out our salvation with fear and trembling. He gives us this illustration of working out. Okay, so I want you to think about it kind of like exercise and being healthy. Whenever coronavirus happened, one of the first places to close was the gym. I go to the gym pretty much every day and I always see the exact same people every time I go. And when the gym closed, they were like, well, they got to close because that's the most dangerous place you could go because the virus lives on the dumbbells for 12 years or something like that. And I was like, oh, really? Wow, that's crazy. And then the gyms closed. And this week I was wondering, how many of those people do you think are still working out? How many of those people who it was easy for them to go to the gym, do you think are still dieting, exercising and being healthy? I don't know how many people are, but I would assume it's probably not a lot. I know one person who's not. His name's Trevor Knox. Okay, Trevor's actually my assistant, and I was talking about him, talking about it with him this week, and here's what he told me. He said, oh, I haven't done that. I haven't worked out. I haven't exercised. I have gained 10 pounds since the quarantine happened, and then he was like, shh, don't tell anybody that because I'd be very embarrassed, so that's just between you and me. Don't let Trevor know that I, I said that, but Trevor quit working out, and here's my fear is that many Christians are going to quit working out their salvation just because they can't go to church. See, some people, they're like, I can't go to the gym. That means I can't work out. That's a false. Sure, you can still work out. You can get some kettlebells. You can do some squats. Like, you can get off the couch and you can go for a run, right? Just because you don't, you can't go to the gym doesn't mean you can't be healthy. And just because you can't go to church doesn't mean you can't be spiritually healthy. This is what Paul's getting at. He's saying, I want you to keep working. I want you to keep growing. I want you to read your Bible. I want you to pray. I want you to practice your spiritual discipline. Keep serving, keep giving, keep sharing your faith with other people. Keep raising your kids in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Just because you can't go to church doesn't mean that you can't be the church where you're at at home. You obey to my presence. Now obey so much more in my absence. Listen, I am a pastor. I know exactly what Paul is getting at. 
right? Paul planted the church at Philippi. I planted here at the Church of Redemption, and God has been doing amazing work. Our church is three years old, and over the last three years, God has moved in amazing ways that we have moved from three different locations. God has blessed us at every single one. Our attendance is over 300 people. We have three services. Right? We have baptized 100 plus people. We've had others be baptized in the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I have seen addictions be broken, marriages be reconciled. We have done baby dedications. I have done premarital counseling and weddings. I have seen people get saved. I have seen God do amazing things when we were together. And I want God to keep doing those amazing things in you and through you now that we are apart. My biggest worry and what overwhelms me as the pastor is that some people during this season are going to retreat, withdraw, give up, give in, and because they feel overwhelmed, they're going to throw up their hands and they're going to go backwards in their faith. And that's not what I want at all. I don't want to see that. I don't want to, I don't want to know that. I don't want you to go through that. I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, I'm not worried about God. I'm not worried about what God is going to do because I know that God is going to do what God does. What I am overwhelmed with is worrying and wondering, what are you going to do? How are you going to live? Are you going to do what God has called you to do? Now is the time for the work to work. And listen to me, redemption, it works if you work it. God is working, and I want you to work with him. God is moving, and I want you to move with him. God is doing something, but we have to do something as well. And my encouragement to you would be the same encouragement for him, that just because you can't go to church doesn't give you permission, and it doesn't mean that you can't be the church. Redemption, since day one, I have kind of been preparing you for something like this, because here's what I've said from day one is that as the pastor, I am not the most important person in this church. And many of you know exactly what I'm about to say. Who is the most important person in our church? Well, it's you. That I can preach the Bible, but I can't read the Bible for you. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Miss JC and Sarah Emily and the rest of the deacons and our kids ministry, they can teach your kids, but only you can parent your kids. That's your job. Our prayer team, they can pray for you, but they can't actually pray for you. That's your relationship with God. That's your prayer life. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Men, I have told you from day one, husbands love your wives like Jesus loves the church. Listen, I can't love your wife. I'll get fired if I do that. I have my own wife. I have my own wife. I have my own kids to raise. I have my own Bible to read. I have my own prayer life. I have my own friends that I'm trying to reach. I have my own salvation that I'm trying to work out. I need you to work out your salvation as well. Just because we can't be together doesn't mean that we can't work together to see the forward progress of the gospel in a difficult time like this. It works if you work it. And redemption, I want you to know that God is working and the work is working. So be of good cheer, rejoice and find joy because the work is working. The next thing he tells us is this, is that the world is watching. Why do we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Because the world is watching. Here's what he says in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. What does all things mean? 
all things. You're like, grumble, 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 grumble. I don't like that. Okay, that's called grumbling. Okay, well, what does all mean in the Greek? Well, that's called disputing, and all means all. Right, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and the weather is terrible. Okay, that's called grumbling and complaining and disputing. Right, have you ever met somebody like this? That everything they do is grumbling, complaining, disputing, arguing, looking for the negative. Okay, it's possible for you to not do that. You're like, it's impossible. No, according to the Bible, it says it is possible to do all things without grumbling or disputing. All right? Can you go through coronavirus without grumbling and disputing? Yes. All right? Can you check the stock markets without grumbling or disputing? Okay, yes. All right? Can you homeschool your kids without grumbling or disputing? Yes. You can do all things without grumbling or disputing. Okay, if you have the joy of the Lord, you can do that. He goes on, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? That you might be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world. Hold fast to the word of life. That is the word of God. So that at the day of Christ, that is the second coming of Jesus. I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul's saying, Hey, I love you. I've been with you. Okay. Now's not the time to give up. I've worked so hard. Okay. When you fall into grumbling, and complaining, well, all of a sudden you're going to lose your testimony, lose your witness, and I'm worried that I'm going to labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. You really pick up on the heart of Pastor Paul here, that Paul says, I love you. I've been with you. I am proud of you. I'm celebrating. I'm rejoicing. I'm glad. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Why don't you try to be glad with me? Everything we've worked for is working. And he wants to remind him that the world is watching. When you're feeling overwhelmed, you kind of have two choices to make. One choice is you can focus on the negative and you can find all of the problems. The other choice you can make is you can focus on the good things and you can find joy. You can focus on the problems or you can find joy, but you can't do both. It's going to be one or the other. And here's what I've discovered in my life is that I find what I'm looking for. This is a phenomenon known as the Bader-Monhoff phenomenon. You probably have seen this in your life that you kind of find what you're looking for. Okay, I'll give you uh, an example. I remember when I bought my very very first car. I bought a 1999 Geo Prism. It was a four-door champagne gold sedan. It was incredible. I worked all summer and I saved up $1,900 and I bought my very first car. And I just remember thinking as I was driving off the lot, nobody has this car. It's probably because nobody wanted that car. But as soon as I drove off the lot, all of a sudden I saw another Geo driving down the road. I was like, what? This guy got my car. And then I noticed they're everywhere. Okay, not anymore because, well, the company went bankrupt. But other than that, during that time, there was champagne, four-door sedans all over the road. And have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when you find something and then all of a sudden everybody else has it? Or when you start listening to something, everybody else listens to that same band? Or when you learn a new word, all of a sudden that word's everywhere. Yeah, that's called the Bader-Monhoff phenomenon. It's when you find what you are looking for. 
Listen, if you want to find the negative, you can find the negative. It's not very hard. If you want to find something wrong, you can find a lot of wrong. If you're looking for a reason to grumble, dispute, complain, argue, you will always find a reason and you will always find the wrong in everything. Have you ever met somebody like that? That all they do is grumble and complain, right? It could be a beautiful day outside and you're like, hey, it's a beautiful day. And they're like, there's too many clouds in the sky. You're like, really? Really? That's you? That's you? Anybody ever met that person? Okay, if you've never met that person, that's because you are that person. Okay, hate to tell you, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it, that's you. If you want to figure out if this is you, do I grumble and complain? Ask the person sitting next to you on the couch. And if they laugh and don't look you in the eye, that's because you're that person. There's a lot of grumbling and complaining in the world right now. Turn on the news, all they're doing, grumbling and complaining, right? Fox News, grumble, complain. CNN, grumble, complain. MSNBC, grumble and complain. And they're grumbling and complaining against each other, right? Get on the internet, scroll through Facebook, social media, grumbling, complaining. There's some funny memes, but most of the time, it's grumbling and complaining. And if you really want to lose your mind, get on Twitter. That is all Twitter is good for just grumbling, complaining, arguing. It's not any good. Don't even do it. Don't worry about it, right? People grumble, people complain. But Paul says the church should not be that way. The world is a twisted and crooked generation. The world is supposed to be different, or the church rather is supposed to be different. The church should not be spending its time grumbling and complaining, but rather we should be spending our time rejoicing and proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead of grumbling and complaining, we should be rejoicing and we should be proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me, Redemption, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. So lean in really close, lean in just a little bit closer and no, it's not about Trevor. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You have friends and family that you know and love that you want to know, come to know Jesus. You have neighbors and coworkers, maybe a spouse, maybe children that you, you have, whoever it is in your life, that you want them to become Christians and you're wondering, well, why? Here's the reason why. You can't share good news if you have a bad attitude. What Paul wants you to know is that you can't share the good news if you have a bad attitude. Listen, the gospel is good news. It's good news. When the angel of the Lord came down, he says, I bring to you good news of great joy as he's announcing the coming of Jesus. It's good news of great joy, and you can't share the good news if you have a bad attitude. It's the good news that there is a God who loves us, a God who saves us, that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life, the life that we never could live, to die the painful death in our place for our sins. He substitutes himself on the cross. Three days later, he resurrects, conquering Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave. He conquers fear, removes shame, guilt, and condemnation. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us a new identity. He gives us a new community. He gives us a new eternity, and that this life is is the closest to hell that we will ever be and heaven awaits us. There is good news of great joy in the gospel of Jesus and you can't share the good news with a bad attitude. Listen, right now, do you know what the world needs? The world needs two things, good news and joy, right? 
That's all people are looking for right now. People are being faced with their own mortality. They're realizing they are not in control of their destiny and they're needing good news to be able to place their feet on something that is solid and unchanging and that is the everlasting God and that is the, the word of God that is that for us. And so we need to be giving them the good news and we need to be giving them great joy. People are looking for joy and that's the reason why people are binge watching Netflix. That's why everybody's buying video games and flat screens and exotic tigers with their stimulus check. Gun sales are up. Alcohol sales are up. Porn sales are up because people are looking for joy and they're looking for joy in all of the wrong places. Redemption. We have real joy. We have true joy. We have joy that comes from the Lord. We have joy that doesn't depend on what's going on around us because it's what God is doing inside of us. We have a joy that is not circumstantial. We have a joy that is supernatural. We have the joy of the Lord that is our strength to make it through dark days, make it through tough days, make it through difficult days. Even when we're overwhelmed, we have joy. And you can't give the world good news if you have a bad attitude. Right? I mean, who's going to want to listen to that testimony? Oh, my life is horrible. My life is terrible. Everything is so bad. Tomorrow is going to be even worse. Oh, my wife hates me. My kids disrespect me. I got hemorrhoids. Do you want to follow Jesus? They were like, no, I don't. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to follow Jesus. When you're grumbling and complaining, that's a negative witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because why do people want to come and follow Jesus if they're going to be just like you? That's not good. You can't share good news if you have a bad attitude. Now, some of you right now, you're going to say, but Byron, Pastor Byron, the world, the world is such a dark place. The world is such a terrible place. It's all going to hell in a handbasket. It's all horrible and terrible and bad. What do we do? Here's what we do. We shine like stars. When the world is at its darkest, and that's when we shine the brightest. He says, the world is watching, shine like stars. That grumbling and complaining is a cloud over a clear night when we're supposed to be shining like stars. When the world is at its darkest, that's when the church shines the brightest. When things are hopeless, that's when we're giving people hope. When things are helpless, that's when we're supposed to be there to help other people. And when people are experiencing grief, that's when God gives them grace. When things are difficult, that's when we get to work because the world is watching. We are to shine like lights in the sky in the middle of the dark let your light shine you can't share good news with a bad attitude the world is watching and last week in our live stream service I'll let you know that we had over 4,000 views on our live stream service the world is watching we had 122 shares from our live stream service. The world is watching. 1,200 comments. We had two connect cards for salvation filled out online. The world is watching. They're wanting to see, do we have something that they're missing? Is Jesus for real? Is life change possible? If the world is watching, let's get them, give them something to see. Let's give them the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's let them know that there is a God that loves them. There is a God 
that hears their prayers. There is a God that draws near to them when they are in need, that there is a God who wants to save them, wants to bless them, wants to change their life. Let's let them know that there is a church in downtown Beaumont where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. Let's give them the good news and let's have something to rejoice about. Amen? So the first thing is this. He wants you to know that the work is working and the world is watching. And then he's going to let us know that you can find joy because the worst is worth it. Here's how he says it. I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon so that I might be cheered on by news of you. Here Paul transitions and he's gonna give us the testimony of two men who have found joy even when they were overwhelmed. He's gonna tell us about Timothy and Epaphrodites. Here's what he says in verse 20. For I have no one like him. I mean, that is a really big statement. There is no one like Timothy. I want you to just pause and I want you to imagine the Apostle Paul's life. I mean, who was in the Apostle Paul's life? Some of the greatest heroes of the New Testament. I mean, he was pastored by Peter and James and John. He did ministry with Barnabas and Silas. I mean, there's Titus. I mean, it's like the, it's like the New York Yankees. It's the all-stars of apostles and ministry. And then he says this, there is no one like him. There is no one who is like Timothy. And then he goes on and he says, he will be generally concerned for your welfare. For others, they seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with the father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also to you. Now, because I'm a pastor, I know that right about now in the sermon is where the little lawyer in your head begins presenting cases. And you say, oh, that's easy for Paul to say he's Paul. He doesn't know my life. He doesn't know what I've gone through. He doesn't know what I'm walking through. He doesn't know how I feel. Oh, Paul's overwhelmed. Do you think Paul's overwhelmed? Sure. I mean, I am overwhelmed. That's probably what you're thinking right now. You're like, oh, the worst is worth it. Yeah. So what? Right. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's impossible. I can't do that. Okay, do I need to go back to point number two about grumbling and complaining? Because I could preach that sermon all day long. Listen, when you're feeling overwhelmed, what's really easy for people to begin to do is they like to compare their situations with other people. I mean, this is the reason why whenever, you know, your spouse comes home and they say, oh, I'm so tired. Then you feel the need to say, you're tired. I'm tired. Like, did you know that you could both be tired at the same time? It's possible. It's totally possible. And where you meet somebody, you're like, man, I had a bad day. They're like, oh, you think you had a bad day? Wait until you hear my bad day. Okay, you know it's possible for two people to have a bad day at the same time. It doesn't always have to be a fight. You don't always have to compare each other's bad days. But if you want to compare with somebody, why don't you compare it with Paul? Instead of comparing yourself to other people, let's compare yourself to Paul. Do you think Paul had an easy life? No, Paul did not have an easy life. In the book of 2 Corinthians, it actually tells us a little bit of his story. We're going to get into it at a later date. But it tells us that he was shipwrecked, left for dead, floating at the sea. He was stranded on an island. He was bitten by a snake. He was beaten. He was thrown in prison. He was stoned and not like... 
you were in college, but like pelted with rocks. I mean, Paul did not have a very easy life. I bet Paul felt pretty overwhelmed. I mean, right now he is writing the book of Philippians from prison. It's probably not the best day of his life. He's chained to a a Roman guard. Things aren't really going very well for him. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He doesn't know where his next meal is going to come from. He doesn't know anything. He is filled with uncertainty and he is overwhelmed. Things aren't going very good for him, but he still has joy. So how is it possible for Paul to have so much joy and write words like rejoice and be glad with me and I want to be cheered on by you when he's feeling so overwhelmed? And it's because Paul has something that most of us are missing. Paul has a friend. When you're feeling overwhelmed, do you know what you really need? You really need a friend. Paul has Timothy. And here's what Paul understands. That a good friend makes the best times better and the worst time's worth it. Have you noticed that when you're going through a difficult time, it really just reveals who your true friends are. Some people say, oh, when things got bad, all of my friends left me. No, they didn't. They just revealed their true worth or their lack thereof. Because difficult times don't cause you to lose your friends. Difficult times cause you to see who your friends truly are. And sometimes when the tough gets going, people get going in the opposite direction, far, far away from you. Have you ever noticed that? Like, you're like, oh no, I lost my job. And they're like, oh wow, I'll pray for you over here. You're like, I'm sick. They're like, are you contagious? I'm gonna stay away from you. You're like, I need somebody to talk to. And they're like, awkward conversation. I'm gonna leave you on red. Okay, it's probably because they're not really your friends. A, A true friend is gonna be like Timothy. That they're going to be by your side. They're not going to be perfect, but they are going to make progress with you. They're going to bless you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to speak life into you. They're going to pray for you. And they're always going to be there for you. They are going to prove their worth. And you can go through the worst thing in your life if you have a good friend. Because a good friend makes the best times even better and the worst times worth it. See, some people, they're looking for a good time and very few people are actually asking, am I being a good friend? Paul, he has a Timothy. You need a Timothy. I mean, if it's the Apostle Paul, if this is the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, if this is the guy who writes the book of Romans and writes the book of Galatians, and he's the one who is planting all of these churches, this is the Apostle Paul. And if he can't go through prison alone, listen, you will not make it through this pandemic alone. You're going to need other people who are in your corner, who are by your side, who are blessing you, who are cheering you on, who are holding you accountable. No one should go through life alone. Everybody needs a Timothy and everybody needs a good friend. See, the worst times, they really are worth it when you can go through it with somebody else. And I want to be honest with you, Redemption. This is something that's a really deep conviction for me and something that the Lord is really beginning to show me, especially during this this season. I don't want anybody to go through this alone. I don't want anybody to feel alone during COVID-19, during this season of unemployment or homeschooling kids or all of the life that is still going on, even in the middle of this. No one should go through this alone. And I've been convicted, and one of the conversations that we've been having as a leadership team is this, is how can we really invest right now on fostering genuine friendship and authentic community? 
How can we invest in genuine friendship and authentic community? How can we use this season to really figure out and fix some of these problems that are in our church? Because redemption, I get it. I know it. I'm aware of it. We are a very Sunday-centric church, okay? Here's what I mean by that, is that a lot of our emphasis goes in having a great Sunday service, and we have an incredible Sunday service. When it comes to the Sunday gathering, our serve team is second to none. Many people serve one, sit one. We have the best kids curriculum that money can buy. We have a fantastic worship team. Our production team is top-notch. Our deacons are incredible. Our leadership team is amazing, and our church church is filled with the best people. Our Sundays are incredible. But one thing that I know for sure is this, is that discipleship doesn't happen Sunday to Sunday, but life on life. And my conviction is that as a church, we've become very good at doing church and we've forgotten the focus on doing life together. It's not a either or, it's, it's a both and. And I'm praying and believing that during this season, God is really teaching us how to provide better relationships for people. Listen, I, I don't want you to go through this alone. If Paul had a Timothy, you're going to need a Timothy. That as a church, we will not make this through COVID-19 without each other. That you as a believer, you're not going to sustain the growth in your spiritual health and relationship with God if you go through it by yourself. That your marriage, your family, your finances, whatever is bothering you and weighing you down, whatever weight is on your shoulder, you can't carry that by yourself. You're going to need other people. If Paul needed a Timothy, you needed Timothy. And even in Paul's worst moments, it was worth it because he didn't go through it alone. I don't want anyone to feel alone. So here's what we decided to do. This week, starting today, we are gonna be launching online small groups here at the church. There's a link in the comment section below. We have 22 online small group leaders who wanna be your Timothy. They wanna pray for you. They wanna bless you. They wanna encourage you. They wanna be right there for you. And you can meet with them. They're meeting any day all across the week. They're all across Southeast Texas. These are men and women who love you. They're gonna pray for you and they're gonna be there for you because no one should go through this by themselves. The worst is worth it if you got a good friend because a good friend makes the best times better and make the worst times worth it. Which leads us to the final point. First, he told us about Timothy and you could find joy because the worst is worth it. And then lastly, number four, he says, I want you to get excited. He said, I got some really good news for you. I want you to get fired up. I want you to get passionate. I want you to get the welcome waiting because your boy Epaphrodites is coming home. So get the welcome waiting. He says in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my fellow brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier and your messenger and the minister to my need. For he was... For he has been longing for you all, and he has been distressed because you have heard that he was ill. So Paul is overwhelmed. The Philippians are overwhelmed. Epaphrodites is overwhelmed. Indeed, he was ill and near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy 
not half joy, not a little joy, but with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Their boy Epaphrodites, he is coming home. They're like, get the party started. Let's get ready. Let's welcome because we're getting Epaphrodites. Some of you are like, Epaphroditus? Right, isn't that what they do at the OBGYN with the, no, 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 no. That's called a pap smear. And for all the ladies I've talked to, there is no joy in that. This is different. This is a reason to have joy. It's Epaphrodites. It's their friend. Some of you are like, does he always talk like that? Yes, so welcome to redemption. Okay, let me give you a brief story about how the church at Philippi started and why Epaphrodites is so important. Okay, so Paul planted the church 10 years earlier. The church was growing, people were getting saved, raised up some leaders, and then he moved away to go start another church. During that time, he gets arrested and thrown into prison. The church at Philippi, they learn about Paul. They're grieved and sorrowful, and they're feeling overwhelmed about it. So here's what they do. Everybody, they they take up a really big offering. People just got their stimulus check, so they give online, and then they send it to prison with Paul to be able to minister and to meet to his needs. And so they need somebody who's going to make that journey. And so what they do is this, they chose Epaphroditus. I mean, you got to be really faithful for the church to hand you a bag of money to walk 800 miles with it. Like, could you imagine if I was like, Hey, Ethan, here's some money. I want you to walk to Nashville and I want you to go give it to my friend, right? You really got to trust that person. That's, that's Epaphroditus. And so they give the money to Epaphroditus. He goes to Rome and Along the way, he gets sick. He gets sick and he nearly dies, but he doesn't give up. He doesn't give in. He doesn't quit. He may be overwhelmed, but he keeps working and going and he makes it all the way to Rome. And then he says, Paul, here's the money. And then most commentators say that he actually fell into a coma. That's how sick he was. And then for a few weeks, he's sick. And then God has mercy on him. Some people speculate that God actually miraculously healed him. And then he comes to and he begins to tell Paul everything that's happening at Philippi. And that's the reason that Paul writes the letter of Philippians because of men like Epaphrodites. And so he writes the letter, sends it back to him. And then right here in the middle of the book of Philippians, he says, oh, by the way, Epaphrodites is fine and I'm going to send him home to you. And when Epaphrodites Aphrodite's comes home. Okay, I want you to get excited. When he comes home, I want you to receive him with all joy. I want you to honor men such as these. I want you to roll out the red carpet. I want you to celebrate. I want you to have joy. And I'm going to let him know that the welcome is waiting. Redemption, I want you to know that you are my Epaphrodites and that you're coming home and that one day this is all going to be over and one day we will all be together again. And that is going to be a great day. I'm looking forward to the day when the church can actually meet together one more time and we can celebrate and we can rejoice and we can be glad. And that first Sunday when we get all back together in the building, it's going to be a party. We're going to party like we're the Philippians. I mean, it's going to be incredible. I mean, I'm thinking we're going to have worship night. We're going to have, you know, baptism Sundays. We're going to have a food truck. We're going to have games for kids. We're going to have three strikes. 
services. The altars are going to be filled. I'm preaching full Pentecostal, two-hand charismatic. I might even speak in tongues. I don't know, but it's going to be good. I'm going to be high-fiving and hugging so many people. You're going to have blisters on your fingers. That's the kind of party that it's going to be. Church should be fun. Paul says church should be fun. Church should be exciting. Church should be fired up. Church should be a place where people find joy, redemption. You are my Epaphrodites, and the welcome is waiting for you. I understand what Paul means, that he has sorrow upon sorrow, because when you are sending me the words that describe how you feel, that's how I felt. That's how I felt reading that there are people in my church who feel anxious, who feel worried, who feel afraid and dead inside, that they feel helpless and hopeless, frustrated and angry and overwhelmed. I know what Paul means when he says he has sorrow upon sorrow. I get it because I'm right there with you, but I want you to know that God is working in your life right now, that God is moving in our church right now, and that Jesus is still alive and Jesus is still on the throne, that Jesus is still saving and changing lives and that the church is still growing. The work works. The work is working. The world is watching. The worst is worth it. And the welcome is waiting for you. I hope that you have joy in all of this. I hope that you see God in all of this. I hope that you are rejoicing and that you are glad and you are celebrating at everything that God is doing. And so what I want to close with is this. I want to give you a testimony like Timothy or like Epaphrodites, like Paul writing this letter. This week, I actually received a a letter from someone in our church, and they wrote a letter to our leadership team to be able to encourage us. And so I want to leave it for you, and I want it to be an encouragement for you that here's what God is doing even in the middle of COVID-19. Here's what they wrote. He said, I want to share something that my friend told me. I asked her if she liked the online services, Redemption Online, and she said that she has enjoyed watching around the house and that it helps her feel a little bit more normal. She said that she wishes that the church would be able to live stream even when all this is over because she's been able to enjoy it and that all kinds of people from all over Southeast Texas have been watching as well. There are many people that I know who do not have a home church, and most of them are not Christians, yet they are watching and sharing the sermons every Sunday. Apparently, they really are encouraged and blessed by the message. I know that I want to start coming to redemption when this is all over, but I also know that other people are wanting to come and check out the church when the services are done. Then she adds, I just want the leadership in the church to know that what you are doing is really making a difference in many people's lives. That's because of you, Redemption. That's because of you. That's because you love your church. That's because you've been praying for your church. That's because you've been giving and serving and praying for me and my wife and family and praying for our leadership team and praying and giving and making all of this possible. I am encouraged even in the middle of this. I have joy even in the middle of this. And I want you to be able to find joy as well. If you're watching and you don't have a church, Redemption would love to be your church. In the comment section, there's a link where you can click that link and you can fill out an online connect card and you can join us not just live online, but you can also get involved behind the scenes in the life of the church.
And if you would like to give your life to Jesus and experience the joy that Jesus has for you, you can also fill out that Connect card. Let us know that you gave your life to Jesus and we would love to be able to follow up with you. Redemption, I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to be encouraged that the world is watching, the work is working, I want you to be encouraged that the worst is worth it and that when this is all over, there's a welcome waiting for you. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.